Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I'm your host today, Travis. And I got with me Brent and Neil. Brothers, welcome back. Thank you, Travis. I cannot tell you how good it is to be here. Hey, I'm loving it too. It's been a while. Good to be back. Well, this is a good episode to be back on because we took a couple of weeks off, but now we're back. And this is the Halloween episode, right? And more more fun than that, we're going to ask a question here in just a moment. It's probably, you probably already spotted it, but uh, if you read the show notes beforehand, uh, first of all, let's let's talk about Halloween and uh, whether or not there's a, there's a whole episode we've already done. If you'll go back in our show's list about Halloween, whether we receive, reject, or redeem, uh, would one of you brothers care just quickly surmise how we should view Halloween now? Um, should we re- receive, reject, and is this an issue worth dividing over? Just quick quick synopsis. Man, in those terms, I, I wasn't a part of that podcast, so I hope I don't contradict what you guys came to in your 20 to 40 minutes earlier, but I would say that it's certainly not an issue worth dividing over, and if it's something you can receive in good conscience and it doesn't cause you or loved ones around you to stumble into sin, then I think it's it's definitely something that with, within the, the historical time point we are in, I think it's something we can take part in as a wider part of our culture to love on our community um, and just to participate in in some of the exciting things going on and, and utilize it for good fair statement or would you disagree Brent or Trav? I think I think that's fair yeah and that's not the that's not the, the main point of this episode today but uh, just making the point here of you know redeeming is kind of the path we take here uh, try to redeem this it's like the only day of the year where uh, lost people knock on our doors the only day of the year 365 days the only day they come knocking at our door so you know don't be a scrooge and turn off the light and not give that little kid a piece of candy give them a piece of candy and give them the gospel give them a smile give them a warm greeting all right now for this very special halloween episode since from where we're sitting we're only a few days away from the actual holiday which falls on sunday and uh we are going to have to ask this question right now Brothers, if you could be anyone from church history, dress up as them as for Halloween, who would it be? And I guess you're going to have to, we're going to have to clarify and say, who is the, who is this person? Why did this person have an impact on you? Uh, why should our listeners care about this person? Right. Cause I, I remember one year I dressed up as Methuselah, the oldest man in the Bible and everybody at my trunk, even though I had a cake that said 996 years old, people thought I was Moses. Right. So if they could all understand who you are from church history, who is that person? Why? And kind of what would your costume look like? So Brent, you want to so, take that on here first? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, ha- I actually have a confession to make. I didn't, I didn't, we didn't talk about this before we started recording, but your um, you bringing up the uh, Methuselah reminded me of it. One time when I was, but a boy in church, we were having a, you know, fall festival costume party thing. And the requirements were you had to dress up as a Bible character. Well, me in my depraved state decided I was going to dress up as Satan and go to, <laughs> go Satan. to 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dress up as Satan for the costume contest at the fall festival. I don't know if it's more concerning that I wanted to dress up as Satan or is the fact that my parents let me. So what was your we, costume? Did you go all red and, and horns and port? So uh, Darth Maul. Is that what you did? Basically Darth Maul. <laughs> yeah, there was like a face paint template that you could use. And so it was actual face paint with the Darth Maul uh, pattern. And uh, and so, li- listen, the, the costume was absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And uh, so it comes time to start judging the contest. And I mean, you know, you've got, you've got Paul and Peter, which that's the thing. Like if you dress up as one of the disciples, everybody looks the same and somebody just says a different name, but there's all these, like what you expect. And then here's Satan standing in the middle of the line and they have this long discussion. Not not far from accurate. I mean, no, (laughs) they have this, the adults have this long discussion as they're looking at me in my Satan costume. And they decide. What are they saying? Me. Can you hear the conversation? No, I couldn't hear the conversation at the time. My best friend's mom was one of the ones judging the competition, though. And so finally they come to a conclusion. I end up getting second place. <laughs> well, second chair, always second yeah, chair. Later, it? I think maybe Jesus got first place, right? Mm. But uh, then, of then course. later on, my best friend's mom tells me that I had the best costume but they were talking about whether or not Satan could actually win the costume contest <laughs> at the church's fall festival. So um, here's the thing though. For, don't you think Satan would be the best dress no matter what? I mean, like, isn't he all about the externals and nothing about it. the internals? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So for, for this little, uh, for this little discussion that we've got today, I've learned from my past mistakes and, um, I've decided to not use Satan, but uh, I mean, he has I'm been actually, an integral part of church history. <laughs> he has been a very integral part. Um, so yeah, I I would go with I would go with William Carey. Um, William Carey has often been referred to as sort of the father of the modern mission movement. I've heard people say that he's the first world missionary, but that's actually not the case. Um, but he he really kind of is the father of the modern missionary movement. Um, just just a lot of appreciation for William Carey and his work and what he's done to advance missions. Just a real clear understanding of Matthew 28, right, with the uh, Great Commission, Understands understood obviously what that looked like. By and large, William Carey was was an uneducated man. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like he had some kind of seminary degree. Um, he was he was unlearned. Uh, the way that most of the world would consider someone to be learned, but yet just incredibly effective, not only in his evangelism, but um, translated the Bible into multiple languages and dialects. So uh, just just an incredible man, um, accomplished a great deal for the sake of the gospel. And uh, And I've even heard that on his deathbed, I can't remember the missionary's name. It was another British missionary, uh, or Scottish missionary maybe, um, that he was talking to and just reflecting on what all he'd seen God do in his life. And uh, he said, look, when, when I'm gone, you know, don't, don't remember William Carey, remember William Carey's savior. And so just this huge impact that he had, and even to his last breath, uh, still not concerned with his impact, but ultimately with his savior. 
So, so yeah, I definitely go with William Carey. You want me to talk about the costume now, how I would dress up, or are we going to wait and circle back? Absolutely. How would you dress up like William Carey? So I don't know, um, <laughs> because he was, uh, you know, he's he was like this just average guy. I mean, it, there wasn't anything spectacular about him. Now, so I like what you're wearing now, is that what you're saying? Just like, well, this might be a little <laughs> too modern for him. Um, so yeah, I'm just going. I'm just going to wear regular clothes, and everybody will just know I'm William Carey. Um, now I think you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this. If you're more schooled on your missionary history than I am, but I believe he was actually a pretty small man, wasn't he? Can someone? I I don't know, but like if you could get your wife to go in on it with you, you know, his first wife tried to murder him mm-hmm. with a knife from the kitchen. That'd be good. So you could like get a knife and make it all bloodied and put it in your wife's hands, or yeah. you know, I think she was tied to the bed for the rest of her life there. So. Uh, so anyway, um, that, that would be kind of fun to, to do there, but, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think he was, he was a very busy man. He accomplished many great things for the kingdom. And, um, you know, he, uh, like you said, father of modern mission movement. I don't know that he ever adopted the contextual dress of India though. Did he, didn't he kind of remain? Yeah. See, and I thought about that. I said, well, I could just, you know, I could just use, I could just dress up as if I, you know, lived in, lived in India, you know, with the, I don't what do they even call those things? I mean, they're kind of like games. Oh, I wish our friend from <laughs> Pakistan was here. He could tell you, I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, but I don't think, I don't think that he did. I mean, I think William Carey was more of your, uh, you know, three-piece suit kind of guy, which you could, I could wear a three-piece suit, but how many men in church history have wore three-piece suits? Like that narrows it down as about as much as dressing up like one of the disciples. You're also so. going to have to shave part of your head or wear one of those bald cap things. So yeah, I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Neil, you're up, buddy. Tell us who it is All and right. why. Well, I, w- I went with a, a less well-known, but, but but had a huge impact. His testimony did on my life was the mis- missionary Bruce Olson, who as a 19-year-old, without the support of any sending agency, um, went to uh, Venezuela and, and found himself doing ministry to the Madaleon Indian tribe in the northeast um, northeast corner of, of, I said Venezuela, northeast corner of Colombia into Venezuela, I should say. And and ultimately, through through his efforts, uh, reaching this unreached tribe who, who had not had any uh, previous interactions with with Western culture, ended up reaching many of them for the gospel. And and in, in his later life in the 70s and 80s, he, he and the Madaleon Indians became uh, spokesmen for some of the indigenous tribes to Central and South America and, and were able to speak up for many of them as they were beginning to um, have their lands and areas encroached upon by Western societies. So he, his his story, the boldness of his his witness and testimony was actually in reading that when I was in seventh grade. The title of the book was Bruchko. That was sort of my my first kind of um, inkling or, or desire, longing to be in some kind of vocational ministry. So I think I would go as Bruce Olson, the missionary to the Madaleon Indian tribe. And uh, and what 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 are you wearing there? What's your costume look like? Well, see, here's the best news is. Um, as as a missionary to the Madaleon Indian tribes, he did really get into um, the culture uh, more more so maybe than William Carey did in India. And so, as a former high school swimmer, I, I actually would be able to go in a somewhat similar outfit because um, I'm pretty sure nice. that, that 
<laughs> that the loincloth was was about all they had going on for him. So, so yeah. So no, it would be a pretty basic outfit to wear. No, I. He was contextual. I, I would. I would definitely, definitely wear wear something that would would um, support maybe being in that kind of arid climate. Maybe not a loincloth in all reality. But but one of the one of the stories about his life is is the Madelion Indians were were a rather violent tribe, and and his initial interactions. Um, he spent a year with another tribe who refused to get him very close to their territory because everyone was afraid of the Montalion Indians. And part of what allowed him to sort of get into their culture was he actually got sick and, and spent, I think, a couple of months kind of right on death's door um, and barely survived. But they found him, the Montalion Indians did, and ended up taking care of him and I think took sympathy on him, which is what enabled him to enter into the culture um, and, and be accepted when otherwise those who had tried to reach them or have any interaction with them were not. So maybe I would, I would go as a, a sick Bruce Olson and, um, you know, just try and, uh, try and try and work myself up in a good Halloween fashion. So I, I looked like I was not doing real well health wise. Is, is my microphone working? Okay. I, I can't tell. It's okay. Uh, so those of you who can't see, we all have blue Yeti mics except Neil. So he took a, piece of paper and wrote blue yeti and wrapped it around like a circle and is holding it up uh but it's not the blue yetis that me and brent have so if he stays on here maybe we'll get him one eventually maybe for christmas i don't know so anyway <laughs> it's a travis, passage. Yeah, yeah travis you're next who are you going as for halloween well i have my main guy and then i have somewhat of a hilarious runner-up so my main guy is the third man of the Reformation, often referred to as the third man of the Reformation. And he's a, a Swiss guy, and that's Jörg Zwingli. And uh, he pastored for several years, died a fairly young death, was born January 1st, 1484, lived to October 11th, 1531. Yet another reason to have him as a Halloween costume since he died in October. You know what I mean? That makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, one yes. of the reasons I chose him is because whenever he died, he went out as a uh, warrior you know he was a he was a pastor and he was a uh, he was a man who was constantly embattled in conflicts so he he battled with uh he was influenced by luther but eventually got into a conflict with luther over the lord's supper uh many of the theologians that have studied him have stated he may be the father of the memorial view of the lord's supper that we enjoy today the big disagreement between luther and uh zwingli was over is it actually the body that we're eating when we take the Lord's Supper? And Zwingli took a much more spiritual persuasion to that. And, and that would be more, he'd be a lot more similar to we are our position in the memorial view today. Uh, so him kind of setting that clear and Luther was very, you know, no, that is the, the Bible says, this is my body. So he was more along the lines of a more Catholic view. Uh, and so he goes out to war. Uh, you know, he gets in these several entanglements, tries to reconcile with Luther, doesn't really work out. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of tension in the Swiss, Switzerland at that time. He loved his country. He loved being a Swiss. You know, he, if you read his, he, he has a interpretation of Psalm 23, where he talks about, uh, the Lord caring for him in the shadows of the Alpine mountains there in Switzerland. So he loved very much loved the land that he was from. Like all of us good Appalachian folk do, we love the land that we're from. And so that's appealing to me as well. And um, he, uh, you know, he just stayed faithful. The statues that you see of him today, he has a big Bible tucked under his arm, right? Uh, so, you know, he was very, very clear about scripture and 
whatever the parameter of scripture is there. You know, if Martin Luther's big thing was uh, the just shall live by faith, I think uh, Zwingli's would be no other gods, but the one true and living God. That would kind of be his mantra that he lived by. And then one of the reasons I think he would make an amazingly cool costume is because, uh, you know, he was a soldier and a pastor and he went to war and died in war. And when they found his body, he was clutching an ax. (laughs) And so, you know, you could have a double headed ax as your costume there and then go with a medieval looking Swiss uh, army, uh, you know, whatever you can look them up. Those of you that are listening, they, they look similar to the, um, the guards, the Swiss guards that they have in Rome now that surround the Pope because the Pope would regularly purchase the armies of Switzerland to be doing his dirty work because the Pope himself didn't have an army. So he just, you know, charged it. And, and Zwingli was not a big fan of the Pope. You know, he criticized him for hiring out the mercenary army of the Swiss, but the Vatican depended on the Swiss. And, the, and in some ways, the Swiss depended on the Vatican for the money that those armies brought in. So I think it would be a pretty cool-looking costume between the axe, the medieval-looking Swiss, you know, um, outfit, and then just double-clutching that axe with a big Bible tucked under my arm. That would be, that would be my costume. So uh, my next runner-up, <laughs> and uh, this is going to be kind of fun, would be George Whitfield, the great evangelist. Uh, but, uh, I said him and I'm kind of laughing because, and, and it's not funny. I don't guess, you know, that's not meant to be offensive, but, uh, George Whitfield was, was cross-eyed. And so, you know, I have like everything I need to do. He had sort of like the George Washington wigs with the, uh, you know, kind of that sort of look to himself. You just need a doctoral, uh, robe and then maybe a, uh, little kind of white looking, I don't know what those things were called. And then just maybe some cross-eyed glasses or something. I just think it would be funny, but anyway, but uh, Whitfield is a great evangelist, you know, born 1714 till about uh, 1770 when he was doing a lot of his ministry. And uh, that, that's his lifespan there, there towards the end. And so, you know, he's, he's well known throughout the U S there's colleges and everything named after him. So that would be kind of a fun one to do as well, despite the fact that he may have been cross-eyed. So anyway, but so, so so I've, I've got to wonder based on 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 two of the three of our costumes if if we're just really going off the rails here with this Halloween episode and and I should note that Brett and I did not know about the aspect of of how we would I think he froze <laughs> clearly God did not want us to hear everything he had to say it's not God's will so did we go off the rails with this episode of uh, for Halloween? Ah, it's a little bit fun. We always have a little fun with the holidays. Don't you think, Brent? Are there actual rails for Halloween, though? <laughs> well, that's the thing about Halloween, isn't it? So because here's here's what I here's what I think. I think that October 31st is Reformation Day. Yep, that's true. That's another that's reason I, I picked Zwingli, you know, Reformation yeah. Day. Yeah, I appreciate you going with one of the reformers there. I think that's I think that that's very very helpful. It, it looks very, like Neil's back. We'll we'll toss it back to him in just a second. But no, what wonder, were you saying there? You you cut out for a minute, buddy. And he's got his mute on. <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, if we weren't off the rails before, people, now we're off the rails. Rails gone. Well, I was just noting prior that Brent and I did not have, um, you know, full disclosure ahead of time about the fact we had to describe costumes. So in our defense, we were not as prepared as Travis to answer these questions. So if, if, if his answer for Zwingli sounded better 
than Brent and mine, I feel that that, that would be our defense, that, that I wasn't prepared to discuss what Bruce Olson would wear um, if I offended anyone with my loincloth ideas. <laughs> Look, you said what you said. You meant what you meant. Man. That's what it boils down to. So, uh, well, listen, sure, Rose, I hope this was fun for you all and for our listeners. Maybe you learned a, a touch of church history and listening to this today. See how we can sneak a little church history in there on you with a little bit of fun from not just Halloween, but also Reformation Day, which is another re- reason I picked a reformer since it is Reformation Day. Uh, but uh, anyway, so uh, guys, any closing thoughts here before we go out? I would just say if this has piqued your interest in church history and you're like, hey, I would like to know a little bit more about church history, I would say two resources. Well, one's a resource, another one's an author. One, history on missionaries. I would refer you to the best seminary president in the Southern Baptist Convention, Daniel Aiken. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Um, he's got a book called uh, 10 Who Changed the World. Incredible book. Simple, simple read. Easy read. Give us, that, um, give then, us the author again in the title before I messed it up there. Yeah, Danny Aiken. Daniel Aiken, 10 Who Changed the World. Um, just about influential missionaries throughout um, Christian history, uh, Baptist history. Really good book. And then on church history, more of an academic, I guess, more of an academic work. There's two volumes, but uh, Justo Gonzalez on on church history has it's a two, it's it's two volumes, but uh, but a really really good church history author. Yeah, and and I would I would also recommend Bruchko by Bruce Olson as a, a book that that is is challenging, it's inspiring, and it's a great um, it's a great autobiography of a a more recent missionary and his impact uh, amongst the unreached. It definitely definitely inspired me. And Brent, I've got to say, as as, as much as you supported Danny Aiken there, I, I didn't hear him as your Halloween costume. Well, I wanted to make sure it was someone that was dead. I thought we were picking so, dead guys. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. That's what I thought. Uh, Again, these I don't feel like these rules were clear. <laughs> but if He's I were okay, you got caught with the loincloth. That's why you're just mad because of that. <laughs> if I were if I were to dress up as Danny Aiken, really simple, probably definitely khaki pants, maybe cargo pants, Tom's, and do what? Some Tom's. Doesn't he wear those? What are those shoes? He called? does. Tom's. He does wear Tom's occasionally in a southeastern polo. I mean, it's that easy. If I was going to dress uh, you probably have all that in your closet now, don't you? Can't you just? It's pull uh, it's required. It's required to be a student. Um, anytime you're on campus, you have to have those. Um, if I was going to dress up as Al Mohler, that's simple: three piece suit, bow tie. You don't have the it. pockets, friend. You got to get some. You got to get some high dollar suits, son. Some high dollar. Yeah. And, and based based on the video of uh, the, the panels he did during the there for the gospel, I also think you need to carry around a picture of significant characters from church history behind you and change them every every few minutes just just because he did that. And I really, really appreciated that during together for the gospel a couple of years ago. That was that was great stuff. Yeah, that uh, it was like his it was like his uh, computer screensaver, wasn't it? Is that what it was? It was doing that. It was, it was Literally, it was these these paintings he kept about probably 10 to 15 feet behind his desk, but you could always see them. And at first, you don't take much notice until you realize, wait a minute, those keep changing. Yeah. And he was he was switching them out between some of the different panels he was a part of from his office. So I I thought that, you know, shows kind of Al Mohler's fun side yeah. and why he probably is the best 
of the Southern Baptist Seminary presidents. Oh, oh. One now. One. Although oh. Danny Ackett has a special place in my heart, though. He's a he's a good guy. So yeah. all right, brothers. Well, I appreciate the time here. And I'll try to put the uh notes here. I, I do have a book I'm gonna recommend by Zwingli on uh, being a pastor, since Zwingli was a pastor. And uh, if you really want to kind of get a, a feel and a taste for who he is, there is a prayer that he used to pray every time he took the pulpit that was really helpful. I may even try to stick that prayer in the show notes if I can find it. Uh, I remember reading about that when I was going through church history. He's just always a guy that I've admired and thought a lot of. And he is, he, in my opinion, is probably the most underappreciated reformer of the group. So anyway. Yes. Well, and he, he had a pretty big hand in expository preaching becoming a norm yes. within churches, didn't he? Uh, 100%. He's much kind of like, uh, you know, the church that he arrives on the scene at, you know, the, they are, the Swiss are used to uh, short, you know, uh, sermons that, you know, a lot of the Swiss don't have Bibles and, you know, the idea and the concept of going through a section of scripture was kind of new and foreign to the Swiss of his day. So yeah, he was an expositor, uh, which is why the Bible tucked up under his arm, you know what I mean? And uh, he, he was definitely one who was faithful in the pulpit and faithful on the battlefield. So and Brent, we, we didn't really bring this up with William Carey, but he, uh, he was married three times and, and, and his, his prior three times, he had a third wife and, and, and his, his first couple of wives, one died, um, one had some pretty severe mental health issues. And, and, and then the second one just was unhealthy. And, and one of the things I think about for those early missionaries was, you know, even when I was a young man and missionaries would leave for three years, they'd come back for a year. What you're seeing nowadays is so different because air travel has become so much more affordable that missionaries are able to come home more. But it was it was a drastic change to go onto the mission field in his day. I mean, that was a a kind of from what I understand, at times they would pack missionaries in in their in their caskets. That's that's what they would bring with them so they could go and be buried wherever it is the Lord was leading them. You know, what what have you learned from the challenges he faced as a pioneer missionary uh, in a time when when travel was hard and 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 this type of missionary endeavor endeavor was new to to even the English culture. Well, one, we didn't mention this either, but he had a son named Jabez. So there's that, (laughs) but you know, one of the things that strikes me about William Carey, as I read about him is truly just his humility. And I think his humility was really, well, let me be careful here. The key to his success was the gospel and the Holy Spirit going before him. But on a um, on a personal level, as far as what William Carey could control and do, um, it, I think it was I think it was truly truly his his humility. Um, actually, just a, just a second ago, I I pulled this book um, Ten Who Changed the World off the shelf to look and make sure William Carey was in here, and he is. He's actually in the first chapter. And uh, that's that's the reason I was reminded that he had a son named Jabez. But uh, but this is we talked about. I don't remember if we were recording, but we talked about uh, William Carey's journal and uh, and some of the inserts in that journal. And uh, and and here's here's what uh, here's what William Carey wrote to his son on his I believe it was seventy yeah seventieth birthday. He says, "I am this day seventy years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness." Though on a review of my life, I find much, very much, for which I ought to be humbled in the dust. My direct and positive sins are innumerable. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. I have not 
promoted his cause, nor sought his glory and honor as I ought. Notwithstanding all this, I am spared till now and am still retained in his work. And I trust I am received into the divine favor through him. And then he goes on to talk about how he wishes to be more entirely devoted to his service um, and be more completely sanctified, more habitually exercising all the Christian graces, bringing forth the fruits of righteousness to the praise and honor of that Savior who gave his life sacrifice to sin. And so for me, it would just be, man, this guy, he accomplished so much. We talked about him translating the Bible into different languages and different dialects. But William Carey never took on this mindset that I've, that I've arrived or I have accomplished my work. Now I can coast. Even at 70 years old, he's saying, I've not done enough. There's more to be done, and I want to keep doing it. And so I think that that humility just sort of, created and fostered this drive in him um to stay the you know stay the course keep the hand of the plow as it were yeah just an incredible life well lived for the gospel and uh you know it was so interesting to read he had to fight against not just you know those who in his family didn't want him to go but i think even finding some uh, mission support was hard for him you know because he had to go up against the hyper calvinist of his day who what what was the common phrase they would say to him, son, if God wants to save the savages of India, then uh, he will do it with or without our help. And so he had to kind of overcome that theological error of, you know, God is so sovereign that he does not need uh, to use human beings to accomplish his work. And we don't believe the Bible teaches that, but many of, many of his day did. So, all right. You know, I think, I think, sorry, Travis, I think all through Christian history, probably with all three of the guys we've chosen much more, I think one of the common themes with a lot of these people that were so influential is probably, yeah, going to be the humility, but it's just going to be a deep love for God's word and for the things of God's word. And so um, I think those are probably important lessons that we could learn from from any of these guys we've chosen. I agree. And I found that prayer that uh, Zwingli would often pray as he took the pulpit before he would begin preaching. So I'm going to close us out with this. If, if no one has anything else, since we ready to land the plane, brother, all right, we're going to land this with a, a pastor's prayer, Zwingli's pulpit prayer, as he would prepare to preach and for those to uh, come in and hear the word. And they would all be in there right before he would preach. He would pray this. And this was his prayer. Almighty God, eternal and compassionate, whose word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Open and enlighten our hearts that we may understand purely and clearly thy words. May they transform us according to the exact to this exact understanding that we may never be displeasing to thy divine majesty through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then a beautiful way to, to introduce a sermon or a text from the Lord. Uh, so yeah. anyway, that's a good place there. Brothers, thank you so much. And I hope everyone has a the hap hap happiest Reformation Day slash Halloween, right? So <laughs> till next time, brothers. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Appalachian Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.